0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to New Books in Latin American Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. I'm Rachel Newman, a host of this channel. Today, I'm speaking with Gilbert Joseph, Barnum Professor Emeritus of History and International Relations at Yale University. Along with Timothy Henderson, Gil is one of the editors of The Mexico Reader, History, Culture, Politics published in 2022 by Duke University Press. This is the second edition of the Mexico Reader, which was originally published in 2002. We'll be speaking with Gil today about both editions, focusing on this updated version. In the spirit of full disclosure, I was Gil's student as an undergraduate and used the Mexico Reader in his classes, and have since used it in my own teaching. So it's especially exciting for me to welcome Gil to the program today. It's great to speak with you.
2: It's great to speak with you, Rachel.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about how you envisioned the first edition of this reader and what it was you were setting out to create about two decades
2: ago? Well, I think that I was interested in a book, putting together a book that would embrace the the tremendous richness and complexity of Mexico, that, that a country that I'd visited since I was 14 years old as an exchange student and have been bat- back throughout my life and have come to love, um, but also because this kind of a book would really help me with my teaching. Um, you know, before 2002, when we go back to the days even before the internet, I mean, I was carrying around and to class uh, lyrics from Revolutionary ballads, tape cassettes, uh, dog-eared uh, excerpts from oral histories I had done, uh, art- classic articles that I had uh, taken from different volumes, and I was looking for something to put together a book that would enable me and Tim um, to to and for our teaching to um, try to make some sense of Mexico's tremendous diversity. People all, always speak about many Mexicos, but it's not just a bunch of regions. There's, there's a sort of patterned uh, cohesiveness to the country's history. So the idea was to create a book that different kinds of readers, everyone from tourists, who could put it in their suitcase or backpack, to our own students, even up to scholars could have this volume, and one of the highlights of the volume was that we were trying to bring to people's attention work that had pretty much only appeared in Spanish that didn't exist in translation. So it was a project of recovering and disseminating classic texts about Mexico for a variety of readers, largely in North America and the United States and internationally.
1: What's your experience been using the reader with your own students? And I guess other than maybe not needing to bring uh, quite so many pieces of paper to class, has it changed your Mexico survey? Or do you feel that the reader itself was sort of an outgrowth of the way that you taught the survey?
2: Well, I, I think, you know, I should say, as I was trying to say that the reader was largely an outgrowth of how I was teaching the survey. I think it's a lot easier for me and for Tim, uh, and probably also for our students. It is a 800-page book that they can use as an exercise weight, but I mean, they have to carry it around. But I think they, they really enjoy having this diverse range of materials, everything from song lyrics, um, journalistic accounts, artwork, uh, even scholarly analyses together in one volume. And there's a kind of inter. We try for a kind of intertextuality in the book, to to have one of the sections resonate with the other sections. So there's a certain flow to the book, and I think having everything in one place helps the students. And you know, I, I hope you would agree that this you know this is a a useful book for an introductory class to Mexico or or even a you know a more specialized class on Mexico.
1: So as we would expect, many things have happened in Mexico in the first decades of the 21st century since that first edition came out. So can you share some of the developments in Mexican history, recent history that pushed you and Duke University Press to think about a new edition?
2: Yes. Well, first of all, Duke University came to us. I mean, we knew we were going to have to revise it. And when they did come to us around uh 2018, around the time that uh, AMLO, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, first left as president in 30 and 70 years, uh, was elected in a landslide. It seemed like a good time. A lot had changed. Uh, and those two decades from 2002, when the book first edition appeared, to 2022 were really weighty decades. I mean, you had Um, First of all, there were changes in approaches to writing Mexican history. There was a much more sophisticated, richer literature on ethnicity and race, on gender and sexuality and transgender Mexicans. Uh, Immigration as a topic, as a transnational topic, had just burgeoned. Um, Narco-violence had reached unprecedented levels. Uh, there There was a whole new set of studies on health, uh, traditional health, native healers, science and medicine, um, and and the meaning of democracy itself. Um, Mexico had uh, seemed to take a great step towards democracy in defeating the pre after 79 years of continuous rule. But it seemed in those decades that we were now looking at the first two decades of the 20th century that, the democracy had been stretched to or beyond its breaking point. So the whole notion of what democracy had come to mean in Mexico is really important for us to uh, to address. So this is a, there's a lot here, and more than anything, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that this Duke came to us because this was one of their their biggest selling books, maybe. Uh, the, their best selling book. They had sold, uh, I think, when they approached us over 30,000 copies. So they were really holding their feet to the fire in our original contract that we would do a second edition.
1: Well, I guess to all of our benefit. Um, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of some of the new texts that you were especially excited to include in this second edition?
2: Yeah. And I think you'll get a feeling for some of the themes I just raised. Um, so, I mean, uh, I'll just go through them looking at the table of contents to refresh me, but one of the things we start the book with are theories about what Mexican is, Mexicanness is, and these are usually, um, they're usually written by great Mexican literary figures like Octavio Paz or Jose Vasconcelos, or they're, uh, people who were connected with the, the, the official party of the state, the PRI, we we wanted to include um, a very different way of looking at Mexico, not from the s- central Mexico, where Mexico City is, and not by these white men, but by Gloria Ansaldua, who is a foundational feminist, who was a borderland, she's a fronteriza, has lived in the U.S.-Mexican borderlands, and had a very different dissident take on what Mexicanist was and how um, it enab- her notion of, a, of, me- of being Mexican allowed her to um, enact many of her personalities, her identities. And it's um, she's a classic thinker from Chicano studies and Latinx studies. And we felt that she deserved a place in this notion of what Mexican Mexicanness is for a greater Mexico, and then there were things like ancient civilizations. There have been so much work on the Aztecs and their um, their on the one hand, their their beautiful art, but uh, also their ferocity, their um, their their violent uh, rituals. Uh, violence is often connected with the Aztecs. We wanted to include a piece by a historian and an archaeologist that treated Montezuma's zoo. The Aztecs had their own zoo in Mexico City that really gave us a a larger sense of what their cosmological vision was. It included animals. It included different kinds of human beings. It's a very interesting piece um, about Montezuma's zoo um, that a Mexican and a Mexican-American scholar have written. Um we wanted to uh, have an account of a Sapatista revolutionary who was um, a transgender person who was who fought who, who maintained her identity throughout her life as as a male, but her own transgender transformation flew in the face of the way the state wanted to identify her. So it's a very interesting piece by, Mexican uh, scholar of gender and sexuality, Gabriela Cano. We wanted to include a piece on the significance of uh, Alfonso Cuarón's blockbuster film, Roma, which uh, won an Academy Award, and of the woman who played the part of Cleo, the, the, the protagonist, as a way of getting at racial discrimination in Mexico. Uh, particularly regarding uh, Indian uh, people of Indian descent who are domestics. But um, the, the actress herself is a very interesting case study. So we included that by a Boston Globe journalist, Marcela Garcia, who herself was a domestic and herself uh, immigrated to the United States from Mexico and is now on the, the Boston Globe's editorial board. Um those are some of the things before really the last two sections of the book, which are largely new. The first is The Border and Beyond, where we included um, some wonderful materials by journalists, public intellectuals, literary people. For example, Julia Preston, who for many years uh, was the sort of dean of immigration journalist for The New York Times, She wrote a piece called The High Cost of Deportation, which shows um, how uh, Mexicans are not just living in the United States on the border, in the border regions, but they are living in every part of the United States and they're forming, uh, you know, uh, we might say mixed families that include an American and an illegal Mexican migrant. And what happens in places like Greater Cleveland when these people are arbitrarily um, deported by President Trump, you know, what does it do to their families? What does it do to their communities? What does it do to the tax base in these small exurban communities outside Cleveland? It's really a fascinating piece. We also were interested in um, how Mexico's recent history is not only tied up with the United States. I mean, one of the points the book makes in the new edition is that um, you have to consider um, the U.S., his history uh, in dialogue with Mexican history and vice versa. But the, the, these last 20 years have shown how Mexico's impact on Central America in terms of the migrants who pass through Mexico to the United States, um, how that's had a profound impact on the transnational history of immigration and the, and two borders. So we have uh, the, the Pulitzer Prize-winning reporting of Sonia Nasario about a 17-year-old Honduran teenager who makes eight attempts over 11 years to find his mother who ultimately uh, is working in a variety of places in the United States, ultimately North Carolina, and this very moving tale about I was forced to ride this terrible freight train called the Beast through uh, Chiapas, which I know you know about. Um, it's a, uh, there are so many ways one can die on this high-speed, very dangerous freight train that these um, immigrant migrants uh, have to kind of cling to any way they can. They're attacked by bandits and uh, police uh, who are corrupt. But this young guy finds his way on his eighth trip via the train, then hike, hitchhiking on uh, semi-trailers, uh, cars, um, buses, has to, has to deal with the Nuevo Laredo camp where smugglers, uh, a criminal smuggling ring gets him to the United States. And ultimately, in a very emotional moment, he finds his way to his mother, one morning in North Carolina, it's been referred to as the Odyssey of our time. It's it's uh, gone through many editions, and it it's written, uh, in fact, by Sonia Nasario, who herself is an immigrant. Um, we ha- wanted to do a piece on the new uh, struggle for justice in Ciudad Juarez among the maquila workers. How independent unions have finally begun to make some strides against. The transnational maquila corporations. Um, there, there's a wonderful song by Los Tigres del Norte um, about, which is called "We Are More Mexican," where this group that began their career as undocumented migrants and then became one of the most famous Latinx groups in the United States sing about um, how they, how the people who migrate are more American than the United States ends. It's a very polemical song written at the time when Donald Trump was um, uh, beginning his surge to the presidency. Um, We have a final section entirely new about how Mexico goes from being the perfect dictatorship, uh, an authoritarian regime with a facade of democracy for 79 years under the PRI, to the defeat of the PRI which brings an imperfect democ- democracy that is pressed to its limits, as I said. And that this this section of the book includes a debate about NAFTA. That includes Vicente Fox, a uh, very nice piece a father's testimony on losing his son in the Ayotzinapa massacre. There's a debate about uh, Amlo, uh, Lopez Obrador, based on his own speeches, and civil society activist Denise Dresser, and there are a couple pieces at the end of the book on the impact of COVID on Mexico, both Mexicans, both in Mexico and across the border in the United States. So there, if there are 80 pieces in the book, about 20 of them have been new uh, for this volume, and many of the
0: previous ones have been updated. slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
1: I'll add as well that um, many of the texts that speak to sort of um, watershed moments in Mexican history or major events are also still um, part of this new edition. So in addition to all the breadth and richness of new topics, you know, some of these old classics are still there too. So one of the great things about using this book in the classroom is because it includes so many pieces in translation um, into English that students who don't have the, um, you know, comfortable familiarity with Spanish are able to access Mexican perspectives thanks to this book. Um, And I wondered if, you know, sort of taking advantage of, um, you know, sort of the richness of language in many of these pieces, could you read a passage from one of these texts that really speaks to you and tell us about why you think it's important.
2: Well, there are so many I could have chosen and it's always hard. I mean, um, to pick one and maybe you'll allow me to do some of these are short, but they give a feeling for what, what's so special about them. Um, one I would uh, just very short piece um, is from, it's called Domperdes and it's by the um, journalist who was born in Tijuana and grew up in San Diego. He's become a novelist. Uh, he's become a very distinguished literary figure, but some of his early and best work dealt with the children who, um, kind of the lost boys who were forced to live without parents who had deserted them on a garbage dump. And, um, I mean, what, uh, Luis Alberto Urrea's writing does is to give you a sense of the unremitting poverty and the brutality of, of what goes on in that dump, but also does it with a certain sense of the camaraderie of the boys, the, some of the black humor and the, that also has to be seen alongside the tragedy that makes this such a good piece of writing and uh, um, you know, made us want to include it. Um, So I'll just read, he's talking about the daily life of these lost boys, these four brothers, all basically under the age of 13, who live on uh, as sort of informal pepinadores, trash trash pickers, but live a kind of their own life on a trash heap. And the passage goes, the boys had rats to kill, fires to set, food to steal, huts to spy on. No wall in that neighborhood was particularly solid, and, then, and they would peek in through the cracks and see just about anything, and there were always the fights to watch, drunks and gang members, and warring young Turks from alien barrios, and young women throwing punches like the meanest macho. Small huck fins on a sea of trash, they floated through life, avoiding schooling and being educated by the harsh classroom all around them. And actually, sadly, on the next page, one of the boys tries to joust with one of the traffic, uh, which one of the, the trash um, trucks, and is thrown from the truck um, and ends up in what Urea calls a puddle of his own mud. So it's, it's on the one hand, It seems lighthearted and picaresque, but the consequences of the situation are absolutely deadly. Um, The other one, which is very different, which gives you a sense of how this book does, Mint tries to do many things, is a passage from Denise Dresser, uh, her analysis of the first several years of Anlo, Lopez Obrador. And um, she has, over the years, been one of the real champions of human rights and civil society who's always called for a more transparent political system um, and has taken positions against impunity and secrecy. And yet she tries to give Andrés Manuel his due, but tries to point up the contradictions in what he's creating And I just thought that this was better than anything I could have read in the United States. And um, I wanted to just share uh, her conclusions um, with you. She writes, having made himself the center of his party and policies, López Obrador is in constant motion, traveling throughout the country and doling out benefits. Every day he delivers a presidential press conference, the Conferencia Mañanera, in which he explains his priorities, defines the public agenda, and lambastes the people and institutions he believes have not served the country well. According to the president, the judiciary, civil society, the elitist media, autonomous regulators, and members of the opposition, among others, have thwarted real democracy and enabled corruption that needs to be exposed and expunged. The president recites facts and figures meant to highlight the he inherited from previous administrations, issues, commandments, offers lessons on morality and quotes from the Bible. The briefings resemble sermons more than exercises in government accountability and transparency. Lopez Obrador uses them to construct a political persona that transcends that of an elected official. He aspires to be Mexico's spiritual guide. And she goes on very effectively to say that that there's a fear that Mexico might be coming another Venezuela Um, and that this sounds a bit like the worst of Chavez and Maduro. But then she, I think, very much more aptly says Maybe what Mexico is becoming is the old Mexico of the pre, where Lopez Obrador began his career and which similarly um, put the emphasis on presidentialismo, strong president and weak checks and balances and the possibilities of transparency. Now, it's interesting, obviously, that she has a position in this debate, but it's using her work that I think we can get A very nuanced take on what's happening in Mexico at this very moment.
1: I think we have time for one more passage. If you've got a third one on deck,
2: Uh, I do. It's a very, again, very, very different one that I thought kind of gives us a sense of how Mexico and the United States, in some ways, are involved in, in many ways, in a common historical framework, um, culturally uh, and politically. Um, the interdependencies and the um, manifestations on both sides of the border are much more noticeable uh, in the last two decades than previously. And this is the lyrics from a song by the band Los Tigres del Norte that I mentioned before. And in Spanish, it's called Somos Mas Americanos. This is a band that started; uh, the, the musicians started out as... Uh, illegal migrants. They're now naturalized U.S. citizens. They're based out of S- San Jose, California. And uh, they sing about what they know most, questions of illegal immigration, drug trafficking, political corruption. All of these are their major themes. Um, this, uh, in Spanish, this Somos Mas Americanos, we're more American, has been denounced in right-wing U.S. Uh, websites um, such as Stormfront, um, and let me, uh, it, it's not too long, but it, it's meant to be very provocative and it's, it's meant to uh, stake out an identity very different from the ones that are often ascribed to illegal migrants um, or to uh, recently arrived migrants. Um, because a thousand times they've shouted at me to go back to my country because I don't fit in here. I would like to remind the gringo. I didn't cross the border, border crossed me. America was born free, but men divided it. They painted the line for me to jump over and then they called me an invader. It's a well-known error. They took eight states from us. Who here is the invader? I'm a foreigner in my own land. I'm not going to fight them. I'm a humble worker. And if history doesn't lie, a powerful nation was founded here in glory by brave warriors and Indians of two continents mixing with Spaniards. And if we look across the century, we are more American. We are more American than the sons of the Anglo-Saxon. They brought from us, they bought from us without money the waters of the Bravo River They took from us Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and Colorado. California and Nevada also flew away. Utah was not enough for them, so they helped themselves to Wyoming as well. I am of Indian blood. I am Latino. I am mestizo. We are of every color and every trade. If we look over the centuries, although it saddens our neighbors, we are more American than all of the gringos. Now, this is a group that, and this is meaning to be very polemical, but it may be the most famous band mainstream America never heard of. They've won seven Grammy Awards, for example. Um, in one of the Grammy Award shows, they uh, held up a banner that said, Latinos United Don't Vote for Racists, which was a statement widely seen as directed at presidential candidate Donald Trump running, running at that time. So it gives us, I think, a very different view of Latinx politics and cultural expression.
1: I think the passages you've just shared with us show us too that if we're trying to understand um, the full range of Mexican thought, we need to be looking to people who aren't professional intellectuals as well to understand uh, you know, the many rich ideas about identity and about politics that we can access thanks to books like this.
2: So that's, oh sorry, that, that's <laughs> really what we, we mean to do to, to So that these kinds of approaches can hopefully leaven and supplement more uh, traditional scholarly approaches to Mexico's history.
1: Thank you. And I think that's a, um, a great point of connection to where I was hoping we could go to step back a little bit from these specific passages. Uh, but to think about the project of the reader more broadly, um, and between doing the first and second editions of the Mexico Reader, you also wrote a synthetic narrative history of modern Mexico with scholar Jurgen Buchanal. Can you talk about the different kinds of intellectual challenges these different projects involved? Both are, you know, trying to speak to people who maybe don't have a lot of familiarity with Mexican history or, Contemporary issues, but they take very different forms.
2: They take very different forms, but I'd be less than, than honest in saying that uh, so many of the insights and the the culture, particularly the cultural illustrations and examples that come up in the two hundred page uh, book called Mexico's Once and Future Revolution: Social Upheaval and the Challenge of Rule since the late twentieth century. are, are, you know, were drawn from uh, my work on the first, uh, and I mean implicitly the second volume of, uh, second edition of The Mexico Reader. I think what uh, 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 Jürgen Bouganau and I were trying to do in this book was to take the revolution as a fulcrum for understanding what came before it and what came after it, and to raise broader theoretical questions about what does the revolution uh, suggest? I mean, what's what's its main uh, message? As Many scholars previously called it the culminating moment of popular struggle of Mexico's history. Others saw it as the defeat of that, the triumph of a new not-so-revolutionary state run by the pre over the people. But what Bucanau and I are trying to do is to um, make create something that's much more reciprocal and dialectical to examine the textured process uh, that runs throughout Mexican history, whereby state, uh, I mean, the the pre-state in this case, and society, the popular movements shaped each other. Um, And the, the result of that interaction of state and society, government and popular movements, um, is a is a, a lively, I, I hope, history of the long twentieth century in Mexico that runs from the late nineteenth century right up until the present.
1: So even though the second edition of this Mexico Reader is it is quite new still, um, of course things keep happening once books go to press. Could you talk about some recent developments in the headlines lately that you think this new edition of the reader speaks to?
2: Yeah, I, I think I would probably go more generally. I mean, obviously, um, and, and it, by the way, what the book contains, uh, most of our introductions to the sections where we try to provide the bigger, try to analyze the bigger issues that the readings in that section illustrate, uh, most of them are about a page or two. For the, for the period of 2002 to the present, we actually wrote a, a much more detailed history of all the things that um, really have happened in the last 20 years, both in terms of presidential politics and social movements, and immigration, and uh, you know, the, an immigration history that is not just concerned with border, but the internal United States. I mean, Julia Preston's piece talks about Mexicans living. Living in Cleveland and what their deportation back to Mexico means. Um, So a lot of those things uh, animate this book. But I would say that the main, um, the timeliness of this volume, as we were writing it and still as it probably being read now, is um, is a feeling about uh, really how Donald Trump and nativism have changed. The discussion of Mexico and what this book seeks seeks to do in the light of that. So, I mean, we basically are arguing that so much of what we read and hear about Mexico these days comes to us in the heat of the moment, in polemical, often xenophobic sound bites, served in a climate of fear about Mexico and much of of the global South. And these sound bites come from a variety of places, from the mainstream press, Congress, Hollywood, partisan cable TV, the blogosphere, talk radio, social media, um, and last and and most recently, really not at all least from the White House itself. Um, and typically, you know, we find when we hear about Mexico, sadly, in the in over the you know maybe over the morning newspaper or on. Cable shows in the evening is um, a singling out of illegal aliens, the epidemic of drugs, border violence, uh, the, the, the specter of terrorism. Um, all of them kind of summarize, maybe could be summarized as homeland insecurity, um, or they emphasize the loss of American jobs to NAFTA and more recent trade pacts. Now, all of these issues, I think, stripped of hype and hyperbole, um, they contain questions um, that are uh, that are that are very relevant and that are um, threatening problems in in many cases. But what we hope to do in this volume is to embed these sound bites and these preoccupations in meaningful context particularly the historical context of unequal yet very interdependent relations between the United States and Mexico and in the structural inequalities and differences that have always divided Mexicans themselves. So the, the hope is that in this very fraught moment that we might introduce a new generation of North, American, uh, North Americans to their southern neighbor. Uh, in a way that will make them maybe feel a bit more um, empathy towards mexico's historical problems and more appreciative of mexico's cultural richness and its potential to transform itself um, to solve some of its own problems in the way that it has been doing um, and that's in in effect the argument of the book that i wrote with buca now about social upheaval and the and the challenge of rule in Mexico. So I think it's this larger responsibility to, to, pr- to provide context and richness that moved us to produce this second edition.
1: Well, that's such an important um, project to tackle and um, we're so lucky to have books like this to think through these questions with, with students. We've been speaking today with Gilbert Joseph, who is one of the editors of the Mexico Reader, History, Politics, Culture, published in its second edition by Duke University Press. Gil, it's been um, so great to talk to you today, and thank you so much for taking the time.
2: Thank you, Rachel. It's, It's wonderful I have this opportunity.